guys. You're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. Some of my favorite episodes are the ones where creative admiration and friendship meet. This week's episode is one such episode. We have Trevor Shelley DeBraw of Pelican on this week. And um, I've been friends with Trevor for probably, let's see, close to 10 years. Our bands have toured together. I've been a fan of Pelican since before I knew Trevor. And uh, they've been around since uh, 2001, I believe, their first album came out. So it's uh, coming on 20 years. And they have a new record coming out on Southern Lord called Midnight Stories. The release date is June 7th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Anyway, Trevor and I get into the record. We talk about his other bands, such as Relayer, Solo Record, and then we delve into sort of philosophical discussions about veganism and the consumption of meat. Anyway, it was a really good episode. For those of you who enjoy the show and you want to hear more non-music-related topics, I've got back on the horse with Everything Went Black. That's my other podcast. Uh, we're putting out a couple of new episodes recently. You can find Everything Went Black on iTunes and pretty much everywhere else. If you want to get at me on social media, the two main platforms for me are Facebook, and I'm Michael Hill on Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, Instagram is Michael underscore DC underscore Hill. And uh, I noticed a, cu- a couple people have, have tried to follow me, so that's great. And, uh, welcome aboard. And um, if you enjoy this episode, please share, uh, give us an iTunes review, star ratings. And if you don't feel like doing any of that stuff, tell your friends about it, and maybe they can listen to the show. Trevor, it's been a minute. So um, yeah. what have you been up to these last few years? <laughs> well, when was the last time I saw you? You came to see a relayer at St. Vitus, right? Yes, that's correct. And that was, what, our first album or was that our second time through that was your very first remember. time through um because that's okay. yeah and the record had just come out and um i so, commented on how there was like a real heavy duty kraut rock thing going on what you guys are doing yeah i suppose there was there probably still is yeah. to a certain degree um yeah so since then i wrote and recorded another relayer record with that band and then that would have been like when we were in the middle of writing this new Pelican record that's coming out. Right. And, uh, and then I've just been working and I had just had a kid two months ago, a second kid. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I've got a whole mess of projects going on <laughs> is what it boils down to. And you forgot about your, your solo project that came out. Is that since then? Yeah. Because I interviewed you for, I think it was Bandcamp daily. And, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was the last time we actually spoke. But the last time I saw you um, was was at the relayer relayer show. So God, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I just keep throwing records into the world. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it works for me. Yeah, I can't stop making them. So uh, I just feel fortunate that there are people that are willing to invest money in uh, having them manifest in some sort of capacity where other people can hear them too. So there's a new Pelican record that's just about getting ready to be released when this mm-hmm. uh, the episode of this show is going to go live. Uh, it's yeah. going to be the eve of the new Pelican record. 
Yeah. Essentially. So, yeah. So the record's about to come out. Yeah. If we're going to talk in the present tense, in the future. <laughs> we're going to talk in the present tense in the future. Yeah, that's like a paradox, it's, you know. Yeah. It's, it's coming out in like three weeks, but yeah. to you, person listening, <laughs> it's coming out next week. Or if you're listening to this podcast further into the future, it came out already. Exactly. That's the kind of that's that's the kind of stuff I want to say. Like these <laughs> sort of like time is like a flattened circle kind of, uh, you know, all things like time is like a continuum. That's the kind of uh, vibe I want to have on this show. You know. Yeah. So I was not, thinking not about it. <laughs> I was thinking about it when I was because uh, I was working on the laundry before we connected this call. Mm-hmm. I was in the laundry room and I was thinking about how recording a podcast is kind of like recording a record because now this is a thing that exists in the world that people yeah. will listen to. And, uh, and so the, there's higher pressure. So I, I'm, I'm, I need to apologize if I'm not going to live up to the pressure. Nah, man, there's no pressure. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's liter- literally thousands upon thousands of these out there. And it's sort of mm-hmm. like the analogy of if you see one cat, in a room you're like oh what a cute little kitty cat we have here but if there was like 200 cats in your room you would be kind of annoyed by the cats i think so that's kind of how podcasts are i feel have you ever seen that youtube clip of like the the room full of cats and it looks like they're circle pitting because it's been set to an integrity song i haven't seen that yeah you should look it up it's really good okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) so anyway my impression of making a Pelican record is that it's a long process. And uh, is that true? Um, The thing that I've learned, particularly in the process of this album and perhaps the album before it, is that uh, we don't really know how to write a Pelican record. I feel like when you're young, you're just sort of like this fountain of inspiration and it's sort of a matter of like trying to... uh, trying to harness it as quickly and as uh, efficiently as possible. And then as you get older and you have fewer opportunities to get together and make music, it becomes like um, sort of less, less, I don't want to say less intuitive because our writing style is really intuitive, but it becomes a lot more arduous to try and carve out the time and to try and figure out, what the process is because the old methods don't work anymore. So it's not like riding a bicycle, riding, riding a Pelican record. It really feels like every time we start up again with the writing, it's like writing a new rule book and then kind of like filling that in before we can figure out how to, how to take the next steps. Okay. Yeah. I can so see that. yeah, it does, it does. It has turned into a long process now (laughs) yeah um and we'll see i mean now we've got a stable lineup this is our first time writing and recording a record with this lineup wait hold on so theoretically so so, wait hold on something you have you have a different lineup now well dallas joined the band in 2012 and we recorded forever becoming in 2013 so he recorded that record with us yes but at the moment that he joined the band the record was mostly finished okay in terms of the writing Okay. So, and that was a process where we had to figure out how to write a record between Brian and myself and, and Larry. And that was, 
you know, that was an iteration of the band that had not written together before. And then we entered that same process again with Dallas because he was a new voice in the mix and a new, you know, he has a, he brings an entire different, entirely different flavor to the band that we didn't have before. So it was kind of like that all over again, just sort of like starting from square one and figuring out like, what is it that this iteration of Pelican sounds like and how do we manifest that through our writing? All right, now I'm clear. Okay, because I got scared for a second that Dallas was no longer playing with you guys. Oh, no, no, no. Fuck yeah, he is. Okay, great. Yeah, because he's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, having that guy on board, I think his uh, abilities are, you know, pretty superlative. I mean, he, he's like an incredible player. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to hear for what it sounds like he's, he's been, you know, a, a welcome part of the process then. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, in a way, because his brain is a lot, um, he, I think one of the things that was challenging to, for Brian and I to write a record is like, um, what, what are, what are the, I, I don't always know these, uh, the terminology for it. I think Brian and I are both chaotic good. Oh, this is like and some like, like, uh, like Dungeons and Dragons uh, stuff we're talking here. I don't, I, I don't, I don't remember what these things are called. There's like this quad field or whatever, but anyways, like Brian and I are both like have this create creativity that is a little bit like unbridled mm-hmm. and the balance in the band was always brought out by Larry and Laurent who were really um, like, if you spend time with Laurent, you'll see that he's jotting things down in a notebook all the time because he's trying to keep his thoughts organized. Yeah. So okay. He, they they are kind of like the the grand editors, the people that like bring things into focus and like organize them. Uh, so that was one of the challenges with Forever Becoming is that with Brian and I being the dominant writers, it was kind of like I think Larry was really struggling to rein us in, and we kept like kind of spinning out in all these directions. And I would bring in these like fifteen minute long songs where you know like maybe a third of the parts worked, and uh, and Larry was able to to bring it into focus or whatever. But what was good about Dallas was that he he has that same sort of organized mentality. So he was able to help restore the balance in the band. So he really spearheaded the process. He like he put together a whole working method that involved like collecting riffs and putting putting them in a Dropbox and then like organizing demos. And I think without that, we we might have spiraled out into the wilderness for a little bit longer before we were able to bring it into focus. So not only did he bring like his own uh, stylistic tendencies and his own riffs to the mix, he he also kind of like spearheaded the entire process. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to, to, to check that out. Yeah. So proximity at this stage of the game, since you guys have been operating, um, I know Larry still lives out in LA and uh, yeah. Know, how, how is all of that? Have, have you sorted that all out over the last few years? Because I know that was like, I can't, I can't even imagine like that sort of operation really. Yeah, that's the, that's another thing that kind of slowed us down is like we, you know, we, we had it figured out for a long time because Larry and Brian moved out to LA in 2006 and we managed to write, you know, and record City of Echoes and What We All Come to Need, our third and fourth record as a long distance band. But then in 2010, after the tour cycle for What We All Come to Need, we stopped touring full-time. We became kind of like a part-time band. And the the process of writing slowed down as a result of that. And then um, since Forever Becoming, our last album, 
you know, I, I became a dad shortly before that. And then since then, both Larry and Dallas have become dads. So really trying to carve out time for the band became a little bit more complex. Huh. Um, and what we found is every time we were together, the creativity flew really quickly. Like we, we were coming up every time we tour, we, we have a really easy time coming up with stuff like just sort of jamming at soundcheck and like kind of like in between songs at practice. And uh, I think early in the process, we thought, oh, cool, well, we'll just keep setting up tours and then like the songs will happen. Um, but then like because everybody's got kids and because everybody's got jobs, it's sort of like we'd think like, OK, we'll set up this tour and then we'll have time to write before it. And then, you know, somebody misses a flight or somebody like can't get the day off work. And then suddenly we have like one or two days to practice before the tour. And all we have time for is to work on the set. Right. And so... I think we put a lot, we invested a lot more hope in our uh, ability to write in that method. And eventually we realized that that wasn't going to work and we were going to have to carve out time to write outside of touring. Uh, unfortunately, that lesson didn't sink in earlier than, than it did. But um, by, fortunately, by the time that we, we got to that point, we had amassed a large amount of stuff that we could work on and so we we had the we had the material we just hadn't like sat down and really worked through it where, where did you record this uh this new record um we did a week at electrical audio and then a couple of weeks later we went in to decade studios and did overdubs where, where is and that all the is track that, is that in uh, chicago that's also well? in chicago okay. yeah and that was all with sanford parker and then Matt Bayless mixed it. Oh, cool! In Seattle, right on. Yeah, I haven't heard of, from Matt Bayless as a as a mastering guy in a in a while. Uh, yeah, he mixed it. Ed Brooks oh, mastered oh, let it. Let me all right, let me make a note here. Okay, let's uh, let's see. Thirteen twenty nine. I have to cut that out so I don't sound like a jerk off. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we had never. That was one of the things is we had never worked with matt and we i think we're all like huge fans of his work and for a long time uh we almost did it on the last record but for a long time we floated the idea of just like getting somebody to mix the record that didn't track it that's something we've never done before and we've i think we all like the idea of getting like an objective set of ears on the material after we were done working on it um and we couldn't think of anyone better than, than Matt Bayless for, for that because we were, you know, we've never worked with him and love his mixes. I'm actually surprised you guys never worked with him. Cause I mean, Matt, Matt was like, um, had, you know, recorded and mixed like so many great records, like the botch records, um, the ISIS records he did. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I really am surprised you guys never worked with Matt before. Yeah, honestly, me too. And that's like one of the things that was so natural about it was that he's like, he's part of the, the extended Hydrahead family that we're still sort of like spiraling around in, in our own way. So it seemed, it seemed like such a natural fit and Sanford too, of course. I mean, we've done a number of recordings with him over the years and we just wanted to do something that sounded that did justice to the material, which I think it's a, a really visceral and heavy set of material. So we wanted somebody that knew how to capture those tones, but then also somebody that we felt like, completely comfortable with yeah i've worked with sanford before um he did the tombs record all empires fall the ep that came out a few years ago and uh yeah, so oh, yeah. It, it's uh great working with that guy definitely 
Yeah, for sure. I like the idea of, and I've never done this myself, of having a different mixer um, on board than the guy who actually tracked everything. Because it's almost like, like if you know you're you're writing a you know writing like a piece and having someone edit your material with a fresh new set of eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And it's um it's something I've I've wanted to do, but just for budgetary reasons uh, thus far we haven't been able to do anything like that. So yeah, I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, I mean it just like and I think it puts less pressure on the recording engineer too. It's more just about capturing good tones, and you don't have to like think about you don't have to think so much about what you are going to do with these finished tracks. It's really just like get the best sounds, get all of the, get all of the material, you know, compiled together and the best takes of everything and then wash your hands of it. Now this is I don't know. Mi- I didn't talk to Sanford about it. I don't know if he was comfortable, comfortable with it in that same way that I was, but I, I just feel like that must be cool in a way. You yeah, know, I can see that. Now, this is something that's more of an open-ended kind of question where um, I, you know, a lot of times I, I think about instrumental music and like from my process, you know, I, I write lyrics and all these other things and there's a whole narrative that is in my head when I create the music. But Pelican and also Relayer and your other solo material is without any vocals, okay? So is there any kind of narrative that you have like when you're writing the songs like is there any sort of you know storyline trajectory that's that that is emotional or some kind of um you know feeling or you know cinematic like sort of idea that you're working with because the songs lend themselves to that sort of thing they feel like there's like stories being told in the songs sort of but at the same time I wouldn't say that it's anything like there's not like an explicit story or, or an explicit meaning to any of the stuff that I have in mind or that we have in mind. I don't think, I think it's more like we start from a musical idea and then there's a lot of trying to figure out where it wants to go on its own. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a great deal of pouring our own feelings and our own thoughts and our own emotions into that. Um, it, it kind of, it's kind of, like I said earlier, it's sort of an intuitive process, but a lot of it is just listening to the song itself and trying to figure out where it's, it seems to want to go. And, um, and then kind of like figuring out the meaning in retrospect. Uh, in some cases, like I, I'll have like a really distinct idea early on of, what it means emotionally and try to try to manifest that. But I mm-hmm. think for the most part, it's pretty, it's a pretty open-ended process and it just sort of reveals itself over time. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by in- purely instrumental bands. Um, because I, it just, it's something that, you know, maybe I should explore that at some point in my life too. You know, I just, it's, in- it's an interesting concept to me, you know, I'm sure that you would come up with really interesting stuff. I mean, like maybe, it's it's just <laughs> I, I have a lot of faith in you musically. <laughs> Thanks, um, but but I think that it just it also lends itself to things that like um you know I was I was a pretty inarticulate teenager and perhaps I still am as an adult. And I think that it's a mode of expression where you can express things that maybe 
you wouldn't be able to find the words for, or perhaps there aren't words for them. Mm -hmm. Just like this. I think that filmmakers do this too. They, they're able to express things about humanity that go much deeper than something that you'd be able to express with language. Right. Right. Cause yeah. it's just an entirely different medium. And, um, and you know, bands that have lyrics do that too. You know, they, there's obviously like a lot of depth of meaning in the music behind the, the vocals. Um, and poetry i mean like combining words in different and interesting ways um but yeah this is just like the medium that that has sort of lent itself to the way that uh that i self-express now according to my research pelican formed in 2001 okay now that's just a couple years shy of two decades of being in operation yeah isn't that weird it is weird you know, what's, you know what else is weird is that you and I met in 2009, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's like 10 years ago. <laughs> it feels longer, though, for some reason. It feels longer. It also feels shorter. Yeah. There's that weird time sort of con concepts that we're talking about. Yeah. No, I saw um, St. Vincent, who's a musician I really like. She mm -hmm. wrote some essay about... Her, I don't know if it was her first record or her second record. It, I guess it came out like 10 years ago, and she didn't even realize that it had been 10 years until she saw people talking about it on social media. She yeah. wrote this essay. She, like The intro to it is talking about the elasticity of time, and that was something that really resonated with me, that like, I think especially like after you have kids, it becomes really strange trying to tell time because time, you know, as you get older, it goes quicker because um, each day, you know, uh, percentage wise, yeah. like as a fraction of your life, it's it's a shorter period of time than it was when you were younger. Yeah, um, definitely. But then when you have kids, too, like there's this thing where like everything both speeds up and slows down at the same time because you become really obsessed with minutia. Like the, the minutia of every day is takes up so much more, um, of your attention. Yeah. I could do but that. Then also, but then, but then also you blink and your kid is like fucking, you know, my, my first kid is going to turn seven this summer. And it's like, I, how is that possible? Wow. I, I remember when he was like a baby. I remember when you had the first first uh, kid, and I was like, oh, "That that sound that feel that felt like two months ago." You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's like it's been twenty years that we've been a band, and and that range of time, because we started in two thousand. I don't. I think our first release came out in two thousand one. Okay. We were a band for quite a while before we recorded anything. Not quite a while. I mean, a year isn't that long in compared to compared to comparative to other bands. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, coming up on 20 years. And when I think about how old bands seemed when I was first getting into music, like bands that were 10 years old seemed ancient, yeah, like ancient history. Oh, so, totally. Well, that, that's actually leading up to another thing I want to ask you about, which was mm -hmm. um, just the changing role of the bands like over the, these last two decades, like for you, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, personally, because I mean, the way you approach the band now is different than when it was 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming 
the space, like the real estate that the band takes up in your life is probably different now than it was 20 years ago. It is in terms of how much time there is to dedicate to the band, but I feel very much like it's hasn't changed. It's import hasn't changed in, in our lives and what we get out of it hasn't changed. It's just harder. And I think a lot of people, they, um, they're like, I can't believe that you still do the band, you know, like people that are not like, not, not involved in music or are less involved in, in the process. Like, it just seems really hard to do a band, you know, when you've got jobs and kids and all that stuff. And yeah. it is, it's right. way harder, <laughs> but, but I feel like, like this, there's this drive to make it happen because it occupies such a central and important part in our lives. And I think we would all go crazy if we didn't have this, this outlet for right. our creativity. Well, I mean, I, I mean, there's a, the testament to that is the fact that in addition to Pelican, you also have a, you know a whole other band that you do and you know, this other <laughs> material that you're putting out. So, I mean, obviously, you're still compelled to make music and probably yeah. won't, won't ever stop, really, right? Yeah, and I think Relay really started out of like this drive to like to have band practice on a regular basis, you know, because that came together really because um, I mean, Stephen and I got. Steve, I, we had never played together, and Keith Utech from Utech Records mm-hmm. invited us to do an improv duo at Utech Festival in Milwaukee. And I, you know, I, I kind of knew Stu, Stephen through Locrian, but I didn't know him personally. And like, we kind of like got got on the phone together and was like, I don't know, you want to do this? Thing? And and we both, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say that we were gung ho about it, but we were both like, yeah, you know, let's let's try it. it was, put it out there and see what happens you know and it was just so it was just so fun playing music with him and like getting in a room with somebody and playing playing that it was like yeah let's let's see where else we can take this and um, and that's really like i think it's helped keep me sane just being able to play music every week because probably at this point like the the distance between pelican activity is probably would be driving me nuts. And I know Larry has another band and Brian has another band now. And I think that's part of like what is making it a little bit more feasible for us is that we're able to continue honing our talents in these other outlets. And, uh, and it kind of like staves off the, the, uh, the insatiable hunger (laughs) that, that might drive us nuts otherwise. Yeah. There's nothing worse than not doing what you're actually supposed to be doing in life. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, you know, you probably met people too. You probably had people that, you know, that they, Oh yeah, I'm not going to do bands anymore. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to do anything else. And then it's just like, why, why put it, why put a period there? You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. why, why say that it's over? Because it, why does it have to be over? You can just continue doing things on your own terms. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just hard and it gets, I think what a lot of those people don't realize, and I've seen it happen to people where they, they get so frustrated by the bullshit involved in playing music, whether it be the, you know, you have to face apathy, but quite potentially, I mean, like a lot of, a lot of my projects I put out and I feel like people are very apathetic about them and it's stuff that, that matters a lot to me. And I see that happen to other people too, where it's just like they put, they put so much of themselves into this thing and 
either come up against apathy or perceived apathy. And it, you know, it takes so much work to make records or to make songs or to make band practice happen. And then, you know, to have it not work out, like people totally burn out on it. And then they're like, you know, throw up their arms and say, fuck it. I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to listen to records at home and, and that'll be enough. And then three years pass and they, they don't know how to get back into it. And they, you know, they still have that desire to create, but it's become an even more difficult avenue to traverse. Yeah. I mean, I have a similar approach to it. I mean, it's, um, I guess the bottom line with all this is just don't stop. I mean, and then you can, yeah. you can <laughs> impose that onto every other thing that you do out there. If you're, you know, even if you're not into music, if you're into whatever art, you know, drawing, sketching, making knives or whatever, you know, and it's like, just don't <laughs> stop doing it. Just keep doing it because, when you stop is like kind of like when it's the end of the line. Like you, you kind of fail. You don't fail until you actually stop really. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's true. So all you kids listening, don't stop. <laughs> yeah, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> it, it fucking sucks and it's frustrating and it's hard, but it's better than not having it in your life. Is Pelican going to tour on this record? Yeah, we're going to be in your city on June 24th. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I celebrate that. I'm looking forward to it. So by the time this episode comes out, we'll have we've we've already announced a 10-day East Coast tour, mm-hmm. and by the time this comes out, we'll have another four dates in the Midwest in September and then two weeks in Europe in October. That's and, great. Uh, we can only tour in these small chunks because of our jobs and our our home lives, but I'm trying to develop like kind of like a two, three year plan where we hit as many parts of the States and as many parts of the rest of the world as we possibly can in like little chunks. So I kind of have like a whole game plan mapped out in the, in the notes app on my phone. And if, if, if we stick to it, we'll, we'll cover a lot of ground. No, I think that's a, that's a very, uh, good way of doing it. I mean, even, even, um, like that's that's kind of how I've been looking at things too. I mean, some some parts of this country, uh, no offense to anyone who lives in those parts, but it's it's tough traveling through mm-hmm. there in a in a mid to small size band where you know you're not you know playing in front of thousands of people every night and uh, you know to get from the east coast to the west coast is you know a lot of ground to cover and um, financially it's hard you know so it's good to, yeah. to have these like these strikes, you know, scheduled out like that. I like that idea. Yeah. And we're very lucky that we have both Chicago and LA as home bases. Cause that means like for one, Chicago's in the middle of the country or mm-hmm. relatively. So there's like different loops that we can take starting from Chicago where we're able to cover territory in two weeks. And then from LA, like obviously we can do the West coast, even though it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit more stretched out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, there's a game plan. We're going to figure it all out. We're going to try and hit everywhere everywhere that we can. I always thought Chicago was a, would be a good place to be based if you were banned for that reason, you know. Well, there's a reason we have such a rich tradition of indie bands yeah. here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. I was like when I was, you know, just in the early 90s when I was really getting into, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, Big Black and, and you know, the, the touch-and-go bands and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. I was like, yeah, the Midwest is, like, awesome, you know, to be a band because uh, you can hit, you're in the sort of center of everything, you know? 
Yeah, and people are trained to like good music because there's so much good music from here. Yeah, there is. You know, some yeah. of my favorite bands, Tar. You know, Tar. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, technically, the Jesus Lizard are sort of a Chicago band, I guess. I uh, they've been pretty pretty accepted as a Chicago band. Yeah. You know. They do well here. Yeah, definitely. Did you did you see that most recent Jesus Lizard? I, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them in in the new the new age of Jesus. Lizard. Oh, really? Yeah, I've only seen them back in the '90s. You know, and uh, they were always have always been. I think one of the most incredible live bands like I've ever seen. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. <laughs> it's just yeah. un- unbelievable. It was notable seeing them in. I guess it must have been last year, 2018, because I think like finally the world has changed. And there's so much testosterone in Jesus Lizard. I guess like I'd never been like uh, as dialed in on how masculine the band was until seeing them in that context. Really? I was like, they kind of like they fit into the world differently now, I think, than they used to. Okay. Not in in a bad way, you know. I I I feel like if they came out now, it probably would be perceived a lot differently than it was at the time yeah because i mean the records um i mean yeah the whole vibe of of that era is a lot different than now and they were they were couched within like a very specific scene and a very specific sound Mm -hmm. that may have detracted from the masculinity of the band like you were just saying how (laughs) masculine they seem now (laughs) yeah it's different now for sure yeah you know so i I and it's not it's not only because he walks out on stage and whips his dick out, but that's <laughs> definitely part of it. That's that's awesome that he still does that. Actually, <laughs> yeah. The last time they came through before this most recent time, he uh, he came out and stage dove right away and very badly injured himself. And then oh, the man. next night he came out and like was trying to play the set in a chair. Because he was in so oh, much man. pain, like he was trying to perform sitting down, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. And then, like, he fucking staged over again, and it's like, God, this guy's fucking going to die. And, and um, David Yao is not a young he man. Did, He's not a young man either. No, no, not at all. I remember um, there was a, a great interview with him in the New York Times right before this last run, where they were like, "Are you going to fucking go crazy?" Like, are you, and he was like, "No, you know, like." I'm gonna try and take it easy. I feel older now. Like I, I had to do. He, he talked about like his workout routine, getting ready for the tour because it was like gonna be so strenuous, comparative to you know his day to day life. And yeah, I mean, he walked out on stage and fucking stage dove. <laughs> Damn. Like, there's just like no, there's no dialing it back. You know what I mean? That's what's. <laughs> that's another thing that's kind of dangerous about getting older playing music is like. Once once you establish these patterns, it might it might be hard to get out of them. Uh, that's well, something I worry about: the physicality of performing and getting older. That it might really become more difficult as the years go by. Well, you know, I mean, um, you know, there's another gentleman, our mutual friend, friend Eugene Robinson, who uh, mm-hmm. you know he see, he's he's older than me, man, and he's pushing it harder than ever, you know, live and uh, yeah. You know, you just got to take care of yourself. That's really what it comes down to, I guess, you know? Yeah, Relayer did three shows with them. I guess that was last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was good to reconnect with them. Yeah, Oxbow's great. I, yeah, another great phenomenal live band. band. Great live and on record, too. 
So after this Pelican uh, stuff is out, is there any more plans for Relayer to do anything? Yeah, so we're, um, I would say, about halfway through writing another record. We have two songs that we've been playing live regularly, and one song that we played live, but then we took it back to the drawing board, and then two other songs that were like sort of halfway through. You know, it's interesting. I, I you know, the, there's definitely when you listen to the band, uh, and I didn't know that that Stephen from Locrian was in the band when I first heard the music, but it mm. has, like I said, there's like a thing that. I can. It sounds like Pelican and Locrian. I mean, without maybe the synths and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's and it's, just. Uh, you know. I mean, it's a lot brighter and more melodic. Yeah, I, and I think like when I'm just hanging out playing guitar, that's sort of the direction that I tend to go in. Um, and so that's sort of what's manifested out of that particular group of of players. And like, I mean, we also we we brought um Colin into the mix after those initial rehearsals and Colin is definitely from like that like power pop yeah mentality mm-hmm. and I also noticed that there was some uh, tremolo picking on some of the earlier stuff you did too yeah there's more of that now nice. in fact like I've I've um that's something that I've been sort of like learning how to do finally yeah it, su- uh, it suits you Thank you. Yeah, yeah no, it's been it's been an uphill an uphill learning curve. But yeah. no, there's a I question. Learned from, I learned I learned it from watching you. Oh really? So. Oh wow. Hey, that, <laughs> and then you know exactly how not to do it. <laughs> you know how to get carpal tunnel syndrome and back problems and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I re- I remember Adam from Caven te- trying to teach me this like uh, this chugging technique like this. Uh, you know, galloping technique or whatever, mm-hmm. where you hold the pick sideways. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, you know, that way there's less resistance from the string. And I, for the life of me, can't figure out how the fuck he does it. <laughs> like, I mean, that must've been 13 years ago and I still can't figure out how he does it. I just have to go flat picking and like, you know, so some of these, some of these things that I've, I've learned from other people just don't pay off. Yeah, that's the way uh, Kerry King does, uh, does the muted palm muting with that sort of angle on the picking yeah and uh eric rutan does the same thing too and uh yeah it's kind I can't of fucking do it for the yeah it's for the life of me i can't figure it out a couple more you know ten thousand hours and you'll be an expert <laughs> <laughs> at least I'm, I'm i'm almost there with the treble <laughs> <laughs> so now um i know that you're you you're still vegan right yeah okay now i want to know if you've tried that impossible burger do you know what I'm talking about? Have you tried this is that? It's a hard-hitting podcast. It is a hard-hitting <laughs> podcast, man. We're getting to the brass tacks now here, you know? Getting into the, getting into the deep shit here. Yeah. yeah, I've tried the Impossible Burger. I have it I don't, because I eat meat. But <laughs> So yeah. what, what's your take on it, man? Um, well, you got to understand. I've been vegan since 1996. Okay. 1995. So well over half my life at this point mm-hmm. and for the life of me i can't remember what meat tastes like okay. so okay. the pitch that it tastes like meat that means nothing to me <clears throat> um i do enjoy the impossible burger i know i and i mentioned that because i know that's part of their sales pitch or whatever is like it tastes like meat blah 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 right. but um to me that means nothing like okay. you can fucking you know it tastes it tastes good 
Um, I've had stomach aches after eating it in the past, but I don't know, you know, I'm not sure whether that's just like other mitigate mitigating factors or whatever, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's good. It's fine. Uh, you know, it's, anything, I've... anything that's going to like, you know, show up on the menu at these fast food restaurants. Cause I know that Burger King is working with them now and, and they have them at the white castle up the street from my house. Anything that's going to show up on, on those menus and potentially move people away from a meat-based diet, which is fucking horrible for both the environment and their bodies, not to mention, you know, the, the workers and the uh, meat factories and the animals, um, is a great thing, you know? Okay. Yeah. Because people need to move away from a meat-dependent diet for all of those reasons. Yeah, I mean, I've always been curious about that because I see it, and I just I don't I see it like in Whole Foods, and I see it in um, you know some of these places, and it I don't trust it when I look at it. When I look into the package, <laughs> I'm like, this looks like meat. Maybe they're just saying that it's. Meat. You know what you're thinking of? You're thinking of the Beyond Burger. The Beyond Burger. That's it. Okay, yeah. So they're two yeah, different things. The Impossible. The Impossible. Yeah, the Impossible Burger is not available commercially. Okay. It's only available at restaurants okay. that have partnered with the company. Got it. The Beyond Burger. I that's something I actually like. It does look like meat. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it tastes like meat. To me, it reminds me of beets okay. in a weird way, but then with like a kind of like, I don't know, veggie burger texture or whatever. But they grill well. They taste great. I, I'm an advocate for them. Now, what what is actually in that? I mean, that's the, that's my thing is the ingredients because it's like I'm, I think. Yeah. Well, it is it is lab stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's all it's all plant based. I mean, like. I think pea protein is the dominant ingredient, which is also what they put in that Daya cheese. That stuff's also made out of pea protein. So pea protein is being used by scientists to create this stuff. Hmm, interesting. Um, these weird foods. Yeah. I don't, I mean, for me, man, I just like to, I mean, I, and I'm not like really a big meat eater, honestly. It's like, I mean, I go days without eating meat. Like mostly I eat like, blended vegetables and olive oil and nuts and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Well, that's a very natural diet to eat meat sparingly. Yeah. That's well, that, like that's how the, the point. human body is d- designed. Well, that that's, that's kind of like the, you know, the, I, I've always fancied myself sort of a caveman as it is, you know, so <laughs> why not eat like a caveman, you know? And that's sure. kind of like my, my whole thing with that, you know, like not a lot of meat and everything. Uh, well, that's very responsible, which I think is in keeping with your character. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> All right, so we diverged a little bit here and went down a left-hand path. Are you, about, say, like, are you taking notes or something? No, I am. I'm taking. I have you know my notebook out about what okay, you know what yeah. to do and not to do here with my uh, like a pseudo vegan diet. Okay, so no, I think if it if it weren't for the the human rights and the animal rights concerns, maybe I would eat meat. But I feel like for me. Those, those things outweigh because I would never be able to like for me like I couldn't rationalize killing an animal I would never be able to do it so right. I don't think that it's my right to, to to eat them but then also like having researched like the the way the human rights violations go down in those factories it's like it's unconscionable no I totally get of, that man definitely a lot of those factories are staffed by illegal aliens mm-hmm. and then they're treated they're not only treated like shit it's like it's they're in extremely dangerous working conditions and a lot of the like a lot of the um 
the sterilization is done with like extremely hot water and people get burned and scalded all the time. And then because they're illegal aliens, they just turn them away. You know, they just toss them away like rubbish because they can't, you know, take care of them for fear of, you know, being brought up on uh, labor violations. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely, you know, the, the right way to look at things for sure, you know? And, uh, you know, for me though, it's just like, I, that's part of my diet, but I, like I said, I try to not eat. I've been very like mindful about how much meat I consume. Yeah. You know? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get all preachy. on No, you. man. No, it, I know that, I know that it's an important thing for you. That's why I want to talk about it. I just don't ever preach about it. So <laughs> I'm out, I'm out of character right now. Well, you know, that's what you said. This is a hard-hitting show that we're on here. So <laughs> It's true. You know, it's a hard-hitting uh, podcast, and we're, we're getting into it now. So this is good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Nighttime Stories, what's the official mm-hmm. release date on that record? It's coming out on June 7th. Okay, what label's putting that out? Southern Lord. Okay, great. You guys working with them again. Awesome. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's tour dates and all the stuff that's being announced. Um, if people want to, uh, you know, find you guys online, like what's your website and social media and all that kind of stuff. I believe that our website is pelicansong.com, like pelicansong.com. And then there's links to all our relevant social media websites on there. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Um, I appreciate your generosity with your time, uh, Trevor and, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys when you come out here. Yeah, yeah, please come out. It would be good to see you. Definitely, man. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc., also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Take care.